I've really been spoiled all week. I've said it many times because it's very, very abundantly clear that you folks know about giving the hospitality and had fun with all the kids. Got into the potty, potty today. There was nobody blocking the, the place in there today. The little kids are missing. I don't know where they are tonight. But uh, I've had a good time. I've had, I don't know how many nice dogs I've met. Everywhere I've gone, they've had a nice little dog, and I'm a dog lover. So thank you for the, hey, the hotel is beyond first class, and yet the devil's been here messing around. I lost my air conditioning two days ago. Told the funny story about your church guy coming up. And uh, guess what? The air conditioner blew out today in, in my new room. They moved me to a new room, blew out again. I mean, that's the devil. Folks did last night having to leave because of a medical emergency. And, you know, repair dude had to come up today to fix the air. And then I'm in the shower. Don't get your mind on that. It might mess you thinking up. Amen. But I'm in the shower and the lights go off in the bathroom. <laughs> and I, I, you know, power failure. Yo, man, the toilets weren't working yesterday because they had a ruptured main. Most of you know about it. It was an emergency, they said. It's blaming on COVID. Hey, blaming on the boss at over. Everything's blaming on COVID. And, I, and I, I got such a corrupt mind from when I was lost. The absolute thought hit me. If I fall out of this shower through the curtain, you know, and just fake it anyway, get to a phone laying on the ground, I got a suit. I mean, the lights went out when I'm in the shower. I could sue them dudes. What are you looking at me like that for? I wasn't serious. I, it just, the, how many ever heard of the Adamic nature? You, you still got it. Don't, don't you even think of looking at me that pious. That ain't going to happen. But it is, and then, then, then the lights came on, then the lights all went out, out in the, the rest of the room, and about that time, I'm going around in the dark and my phone rings. It's a recorded message. Your social security number has been broached down in Southern Texas. I called the cockroaches back and, you know, the number, because the call dropped then. I called the cockroaches back. Hello, some hillbilly woman in Tennessee answered the phone. You know, they're using her number. How was your day today? Anyway, and all that to say, I'm sorry, it has to come to an end. But we're going to have a very uh, good time tonight. All before the stupid COVID hit, I was running all around America preaching a message on uh, uh, dealing with my new book. You know, that's what the people expected. And then all of a sudden, the n nonsense showed up, and I had to interrupt myself. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful to be able to get back to the theme. And thank you for uh, patronizing the book table. I didn't say it all week. I forgot. But I usually tell the folks I'm working my mother through college. And uh, we offset the tuition payments with the book money. And uh, I've been doing that since 1993. Say amen right there. She's a slow learner. Amen, Brother Greg. <laughs> Thank God for the Three Stooges. Half my material comes from the Three Stooges, I'm telling you. For real. So uh, anyway, but thank you for getting all the books. If you haven't got the, the book on Israel, at the very least, be sure you do that. If you want to learn something, how'd you like to have somebody cut your grass and do your weed eating? For six years, sign a contract with you up front. Eight, they're going to do 18,000 hours of lawn care for you. And all they want you to do is pay them one check ahead of time. How much is that? $20, two zero. Imagine if somebody asked you that. Look, you know what the Greek word for that is? Watch. That's what you got here. You got 18,000 hours of work. Six years, 10 hours a day tell you about what God's doing over there. You want, want to make sure to let the Lord know you're on the same page with him. Remember that truth from the other night. 
And then God would not even get mad at you if you got one or two to give to somebody that wants to know what's happening. So this has got some heavy stuff in it tonight. Talked to a lady earlier about the poor Jews trying to get out of Germany during the buildup to the war. And they could, they, Hitler couldn't wait to get rid of them because he charged them a lot of money to leave. Export tax, I mean exit, exit tax. He couldn't get rid of them because no nations would take them with Roosevelt leading the way. Nobody's heard those, that history, nobody. You know how bad Canada was? You know how bad Canada was? Canada's, the two, two Canadian historians have written a book about it. You know what the title of their book is? The number one expression Canada had when the Jews were trying to flee Germany, flee Hitler. You know what Canada's number one expression was? None is too many. Now you know why they got a ballet dancer for a prime minister tonight. You know what Hitler said? I'll send them out on cruise ships if you hypocrites will take them. No one's heard that history. My, my, I have three chapters on the Holocaust in that book. The main chapter is called The Real Final Solution. You know why? That, that's what it was. That was Hitler's final solution. He had nothing else he could do with them. Nobody would take them, so he had to wipe them out. You never hear that. So I got the documentation coming out of my ears. I got so many footnotes in this book, it's not funny. Bizarre things, things you'll never hear anywhere else, okay? So anyway, be sure to get that before I get out of here tonight. And you can get one or two to give to somebody else. God will bless you for it. So all that to say this. So let's, get, let's jump into this tonight. Turn to Romans chapter number 11. And remember, I don't want to say I'm a storyteller, but I'm, a fa I'm an information giver and a discernment guy, right? I'm not here to teach you how to build a bigger church. I'm not here for revival meetings. I have my own unique uh, ministry. And I, come, I, I, I basically show up with things the Lord hasn't even heard of yet. He's told me several times, where did you get that? Amen, Brother Greedy. Take it easy. If you look, you ever see Crocodile Dundee? Me and God are mates. You ever heard that line? Me, I'm close enough to God, I get away with a lot of baloney. <clears throat> and it's meant to hold your attention. But anyway, all kidding aside, I'm going to tell you tonight about how Israel came into existence. And it's the apple of God's eye. And you need to know what's happening. I may have rushed through this yesterday, but when I, uh, Joe Biden says he graduated from the second largest Catholic high school in Delaware, Archmere Academy in Wilmington, Delaware. I graduated from the largest Catholic high school in Delaware, Salesianum in Wilmington as well. And it's thir I think it's $30,000 a year to go there now. It was 1,200 boys when I was there. And the only difference between my school and Joe Biden's school is we had more pedophile priests than he had. And yeah, I can pull, pull the website up and show the pictures of the priests to you. Bankrupted the Wilmington Delaware Archdiocese over $70 million in payouts. I'm not blowing smoke at you. But when I was a freshman at Salesianum in 1967, in June, finishing my first year in that Catholic high school, uh, uh, getting ready to get down to Rehoboth Beach, get drunk where Dr. Ruckman was a lifeguard, get out and play the fool and drink a bunch of Colt 45 malt liquor on the beach, this is what we used to do. Sleep the hangovers off underneath the, the boardwalk. I spent the night sleeping under a tractor one night, fighting mosquitoes all night. Just stupid. No God, no, no knowledge about God yet. The, uh, but when I was doing that, that, that graduation week, 32 miles north up I-95, if you know that area, crossing into Pennsylvania, Cheltenham High School, 32 miles away, there was a 17-year-old senior who was graduating, public high school now, same week I'm goofing off, and he, he had to skip his commencement ceremony 
had to grab his diploma and jump on an airplane because his country was about to be in war. And uh, that was B.B. Netanyahu, the current prime minister. Flew home, and the war was over so fast he never got into his regiment. Came back and graduated from MIT with honors. He's on the ropes tonight. They're doing to him what they did to Trump. And things are getting real shaky. We're getting real close to the end. That's why you want to be sure you're on the right page with God, okay? So you got your Bibles. Look, open up to Romans 11. The big, the big, uh, one of the big things now going around is uh, something called replacement theology. It's been around since the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. You know, they 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 claim they're they claim they're Israel. What do you think? What do you think their preachers are called priests for? We're pre we're all priests. We don't have any one priest representing us with a robe on on Sunday morning performing a sacrifice on an altar. It's Old Testament thinking. Can't you see that? They're just a continuation of Old Testament Israel because they teach that God dumped the Jews at the crucifixion because they rejected His Son and the Church took Israel's place. That's perverted Catholic teaching. But then the Protestants picked that up at the Reformation. They come out. Rome's a mother of harlots. She's not just a harlot. Remember in bed with the kings of the earth last night? She gives birth to little harlots that are embedded with the kings of the, of the earth as well. That's what Protestant state churches were. If you lived in England, you had to be a Catholic. After the Reformation, you have to be a Protestant now, an Anglican. That's why that Baptist preacher was burned alive in 1611. We are so dumb with how much God had given us in this country. And that's, now it's already over. I told you my father-in-law landed on Normandy Beach on June 6th. I didn't know about that till he was gone in heaven. Boy, if I'd have known that, I'd have picked his brain in Jesus' name. Didn't know it. Well, America's pretty much finished now. But, um, but anyway, this replacement theology now is passed on to Baptist churches as well. There's a movement... Uh, I don't know, this nut named Stephen Anderson out in Arizona. He's fizzling out later because he had a bunch of perverted problems in his own family and his church. And he's fizzling a little bit, but he's out in Arizona. And he's teaching Baptist people just like you. I mean, he's, he's got, he, he jump-started a movement. He's got satellite churches all over the place. And they teach their people that they're the new Israelites. And they're going to go into the tribulation period as well because you're Israel now. And the Holocaust was make-believe, that was a lie. And all this, repentance is a bad word, and all these nutty things. Here's good people like you, tithing, working the nurseries, trying to be faithful, and being told you're the new Jews. It's all over the country tonight. You men, you got to be up on some of these things to guard the church with the pastor. you got to do that. There went after Saul, a band of men whose hearts the Lord touched. So let's find out if uh, God's done with the Jews. You want to do that a little bit now? Uh, let's find out if the Apostle Paul ever got any of Stephen Anderson's DVDs. Amen, Brother Grady. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word? Give you one last seventh inning stretch. Romans 11, verse number 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? There's the question of the hour right there, isn't it? Look at the inspired answer. Two words. Duh. God forbid. Hello, neighbor. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul said, if God was done with the Jews, how in the world did I get in three, you know, three decades ago? God hath not cast away his people. How are you doing? There's a repetition for emphasis. Which he foreknew. What you not what the scripture saith of Elias? New Testament spelling for Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel. Saying, 
This is, the, this is the Jewish prophet asking God to spank the Jews. Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Dr. Ruckman used to say the greatest, God bless your preacher's wife, three strikes and you're out. Amen. Did I tell you why Italians can't count to ten? Did I tell you that one yet? Every time they get to two, they run into a tree. Amen. Anyhow, so much for that. Uh, but, uh, Dr. Ruckman used to say the uh, greatest collection of anti-Semitic literature in the world is the Old Testament. God's the one blasting the Jews 24-7. You ever read the Old Testament? But, but what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Okay? Now, in other words, now watch this. Uh, 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 7,000 sounds real good, doesn't it? But that's, that's it out of the whole nation. Now look at the next verse. Even so then, at this present time also, 60 AD, 60 years, 30 years into the church age, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. You know what God just said? Hey, Elijah, just like, uh, I mean, what Paul just said, just like back yonder when Elijah and just 7,000 is all God had, Guess what? Same today. He's still got a remnant today. You know what that does? That blows out this whole whacked out thing I just told you. Because you know what their thesis is? God got caught off guard when they crucified his son. And he threw a hissy fit. And he dumped all the promises to Israel that he had. And said, I'm going to create something new and give them all your promises. I'm done with you. That is the gist of it. That's why it's called replacement theology. God replaced the Jews with the church. Look, you think God took a baby aspirin that, that day when he, they rejected a son? Did you ever hear a black preacher preach a sermon one time called, did, did it ever occur to you that nothing occurs to God? You all see verse 5? Even so then at this present time also there's a remnant. God never gets caught off guard. And he wasn't caught off guard when they rejected his son. And he ain't done with that Jew yet. You'll see that in just a moment. Let's pray together. Father, we sure do love you. Why, it's been a fun week. It has been a fun week. And, and thank you for being so good to me. And the crowd's been faithful. And I pray you'll feed them real good tonight, Lord. We love you. And we know Israel's the, the apple of your eye. Help, us, help these men especially to get a leg up on this issue. To be a better uh, guardian in the church. To help the preacher hold his arms up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Keep your Bibles open there. Let's jump down to verse number 25. For I would not, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. See that? See that wise in your own conceits? That's a very good description of this crazy crowd over here now that's coming on strong. These independent Baptists. Now they call them the new IFB, the new independent fundamental Baptist movement that's anti-Israel. Okay? They're wise in their own conceits, is what Paul said way back yonder when that idea was being thrown around, that God's done with the Jews. Look here. Uh, for blindness in part is happened unto Israel. See that blindness? That don't mean real blindness. That's spiritual blindness, right? Notice what it says. Blindness what? In part. Sounds like partial blindness to me. That means some Jews get in. Not many, but some. I guess Paul got in, didn't he? Blindness in part has happened unto Israel. Tell me what the next word is. 
until, duh, doesn't sound like God's permanently done with that Jew, does it? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Are you saved tonight? If you're saved, you're in Christ's body. He's the head, we're in his body. One day that body's going to be filled up. And when it is, pow, away we go. And up we go to the, in the rapture. And then the Jews' lights are going to come on. Their blindness, for the most part, is going to be in place until we're out of here. And then that Antichrist is going to turn on them. And then a third of those Jews that survive, two-thirds are going to be wiped out. About a third of them are going to survive, and they're going to realize, hey, the Lord has, is our Messiah, and uh, we're going to come down and rescue the mayor at the end of the tribulation period. Probably have our wedding dresses on. Amen, riding them horses. By the way, neighbor, you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be rescuing our mother-in-law. Excuse me for breathing, but didn't we marry Jehovah's son, the Lord Jesus? You know who Jehovah's wife is? Thank you very much. Elvis has left the building. No more mother-in-law jokes. Amen, Brother Grady. Look at verse number 20. Why, say, why do you keep saying amen, Brother Grady? I tell you, Joe Boyd said, if I don't get amen, I'll amen myself. Amen. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. See that thing? That's out in the future. As it is written. Here's a, here's a prophecy about Jesus coming back. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. They're not right now, but they're going to be straightened out later. Okay? Now, let me tell you something. The, uh, there's two groups of people out there tonight. There's the crazy people I'm just describing now, the New Baptists that hate the Jews, right? And then there's the other group on the other side of the spectrum, and that's us, the folks that have a traditional love for Israel and the Jews. Anybody remember if you're saved back to the 1970s? Hey, next to the Bible, the most exciting book was Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Remember those days? I was saved in August 1974, and I was in Israel in May of 75. I couldn't wait to get over there. And by the way, if you've never been able to go, don't worry about that. I don't think Dr. Ruckman ever went to Israel. I've never heard him say one word about it. All ground is holy ground. Old Lester Roloff used to say, I'll go to, I'll go to the Holy Land when the Holy Land gets holy. Amen. So never feel like you're a second-class citizen if you can go. I've been there five times. But you, it, it's okay. You don't have to worry about anything. But, uh, but everybody loved the Jews in my day. We didn't have any Baptists fighting the Jews and fighting Israel. We were all shook up and excited about it, waiting to, waiting to see God wrap everything up. But now the good guys over here, the good guys over here, they got some hang-ups too, especially the most fanatical ones. What do you mean most fanatical? Oh, John Hagee, most of you may know who that guy is. He's so pro-Israel, he helped open up the embassy, you know, in Jerusalem. You know, he's a big-time money raiser for the state of Israel. But listen, let me show you how those guys operate. He's so, he's so spiritual and loves Israel so much, he doesn't believe they need to be saved even. They've got their own covenant with the Lord. See, that's pretty convenient, isn't it? Somebody should have got his videos to Apostle Paul. He could have saved himself a whole lot of stonings and <laughs> beaten up in all them synagogues trying to get those Jews saved. He must have missed Hagee's material, amen. But long story short now, let me tell you what the problem is with these, with, with these pro-Israel people, which is us. You know what our problem tends to be? Sometimes we, uh, 
We don't want to witness to the Jews because we're afraid of offending them. And then you get around nuts like Hagee. They'll convince you the Jew is special before God and doesn't need to be saved. But the other, the other weakness good guys like us tend to have is, is we can love the Jews so much that we can be naive about how messed up they really are. That crowd over there, the bad guys, they've got all the statistics. How the Jews created Hollywood, how they run the pornography industry, how they manipulate markets a lot around the world. I mean, they are, how they're, they, the, uh, um, the, um, you hear about the neocons that have us in all these Middle East wars forever and ever. Neocon is short for neoconservative. I was started by a Jew in New York by the name of Crystal. Now watch this neighbor. Anytime I get talking on this, in this phase of the sermon, it's always quiet. I've only done this a couple hundred times, maybe long, more, more sermons than that on this one thing. So I know exactly where I'm going. It gets quiet. And that's a good sign because that tells me we're in the right church, that you love the Jews. Anybody remember the crazy movie with Mel Gibson, The Patriot? And they're out trying to rec do some recruiting. They go into that tavern and Mel Gibson runs, opens his mouth and says, God save the king or something crazy like that. And they all start throwing you know, hatchets at him and, and beer bottles. And he says, I think we're in the right place. You know, he wanted to make sure they were patriotic Americans. If you get quiet at this time, that's a good sign. But God doesn't want you to get too quiet in a sense that you're imbalanced, a false balance is an abomination under the Lord. You've got to know how messed up those Jews really are because they are as messed up as Hogan's goat neighbor. By the way, let me tell you why you get quiet. This, is, this will blow your mind. I had a guy up in New Jersey tell me this one time. Some old codger, he had a pair of bib overalls on, and I forget his name, and I never can remember his name. He said, Brother Grady, he said, you want to know why we love all things Jewish? And especially we hear the Hebrew language spoken, and Puts us into a trance, you know. You ever notice how beautiful Hebrew is compared to Arabic? Those two, those two Al-Qaeda fathers were visiting. One was over at the other one's house, you know. And yeah, you got the pictures up on the wall, your kids like on the mantle. And the one Al-Qaeda father was saying to the other one, they blow up so quickly. <laughs> That's a joke, folks. Well, Ishmael's a wild man. You ever read that in the Bible? Crazy man. But um, you know what that guy told me? He said the reason that we love all things Jewish, and we, and, we, and we get a little tight when we hear bad things. He said, you know why that is? I said, why? He said, it's because you have a Jew inside of you. What Colossians say? It's good. Christ in you. Hope of glory. He told those Gentile dogs, don't you feel inferior to those Jewish Christians, believers. You've got the Jewish Messiah inside of you. You're okay. And that's why you feel like that. But you don't want to get imbalanced. You want to see things the way God shows them. Let me show you, having said all that, let me show you one of the wildest verses in the Bible. Uh, a brother Dunbar, Dr. Ruckman, made a big deal out of this verse, and it absolutely turned me upside down. It didn't lead me to write this book, but it had a lot to do with giving me the insight to write the book. The next verse. You all know, what the, you know, you all know that 37-cent word, conundrum, a conundrum. All that means is a, a riddle or a mystery, or a paradox, or maybe a contradiction, you got the biggest conundrum in the New Testament in this next verse. Look at it. As concerning the gospel, they, the Jews, are, what's the next word? Enemies for your sakes. But 
as touching the election, they are what? Beloved for the father's sakes. All you homeschool moms, take a look at that word fathers. First time I heard that verse and shared it with my wife, I absolutely butchered the verse. Brother Dave, I thought it was talking about God the Father's sake. Beloved for the Father's sake, up there, right? My wife said, hey, stupid, and she would never say that in front of you, but she, she puts me in my place when I need it, amen, which about every day. And she said, hey, dummy, I think it was dummy, not stupid, that's a little softer. She said, hey, <laughs> show me the 10 I said, if you have a problem with that, you have a mental, a mental problem. You know, she's proofreading my new book. She said, you can't say that, that's too hard. So she keeps me, uh, you know, collared. She said, she said, look at that thing, homeschool moms. Look how it's spelled. It's, it's, it's not capital F, apostrophe S. It's lowercase f, S apostrophe. You all see that? The fathers say, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the nation. God made promises to those men to pass on to their descendants, and he would never retract them. So even though they're a pain in the, in the tuchus, the old Jewish, Yiddish expression, they're enemies of the gospel, but they're also beloved. How do you explain that? That's a conundrum. The title of my 19th chapter in the book, when it really hits into the doctrinal material, is entitled, Beloved Enemies. That Jew tonight is your beloved enemy. How could you have two at one time? I went to San Antonio, Texas. Got a man here from the Corpus Christi area. I was telling him that I was in San Antonio 20 years ago. And a preacher put me in an RV, brand new RV they just bought for missionaries on the church property. Big old iron fenced area in, locking me in through the night, you know. Hey, Saturday night, I, first night I spent in there, and everything was fine, and got up the next morning and preached. And then uh, Sunday night, I going in for night number two, and I was saying goodbye to my wife, and I said, I love you, sweetie. Gave her a little kissy amen on the cell phone. Put it down on the nightstand. 18 inches from my head, amen. You know, RVs are like, not a lot of room. And then I went into the land of Nod, amen. Got up about 7 o'clock. Said, okay to say potty. This is north. This should be okay. Yankee land. Potty okay or TT? What do you say up here? Down south to flip out, amen. The genteel down there. I have to go to the potty. Somebody help me here. You know, that's what normally pe normal people do when they wake up. And, and, I, and, you know, an RV is I'm all the way at the, the right, the back end of the thing, and I get out, walk out of the bedroom, and the whole place was ransacked. Amen, brother. TV gone, my clothes thrown everywhere. And, you know, you just wake up, you still got the sleep boogers in your head, and you're trying to focus on what's happening. It took me a couple of seconds to figure out something ain't right in Denmark here. Man, I come running back into the bedroom to call the police. Amen. Couldn't call the police, no phone. And I come out of there, man, climbed over that fence, got on, got, on, <laughs> got the police over there. And 30 minutes later, I'm in there, back inside with the pastor and the policeman, a little Mexican cop there, 25 years on the police force, probably a Catholic. And man, we were so calm, the preacher and I, that, that, that Mexican policeman got so mad, he took his pen like that and his pad, filling a police report out, and slammed the pen into the side of the pad like that. He said, you two men ought to both get down on your knees and thank God he didn't wake up, pointing at me. Then he took us both outside to the back end of the RV, showed us the broken out window, and the two sets of footprints. And theorized that they were Katrina transplants. 
I mean, they moved those crazy people all around the country, and wherever they went, those crime skyrocketed through the roof, and they had a bunch of problems locally because of that. Now, you know what that guy implied, that policeman? If I would have woke up in the middle of that robbery, I'd have gone into the next dispensation. You know, the Bible could be true. Didn't, if we didn't establish anything this week, can we establish that before I go home? The King James Bible could be the Word of God. Is that, are we all on the same page about that? The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them out of all their troubles. So how'd you sleep through that? I don't know, there's a verse that says he giveth his beloved sleep in Psalms. I slept through that old thing, amen. If, you, if you're not spiritual enough to use the Bible, use some southern gospel music. And every night as you lay down, angels are camping all around, amen. Now what are you talking about there, the enemies? I don't know how much time you got. <laughs> How many, ever, how many of you ever heard of the ACLU? Almost all of you. You know the ACLU is about 80% Jewish. The top attorneys are about 80%, maybe higher. Do you know the president of the ACLU when I wrote that book is a Jewish lesbian? How many people gave Trump all tr kind of trouble with Jews? Did you know that? Jerry Nadler, Schiff, Schaff, Shifty Schiff, Feinstein, Chuck Schumer. How much time you got? They're all over the joint. Top senator in, in my state, Tennessee, Cohen. How much time you got? You know why, we, you know why it's uh, Adam and Eve is gone now in our country and it's Adam and Steve now? Because of that Supreme Court decision five years ago? All three Jews on the court, liberal as the devil. Two Catholic liberals joined them and they had the 5-4 vote. The Jews are 2% of the population, two. And they, can, and they control one-third of the Supreme Court until Ginsburg kicked the bucket, and now they got another Catholic in there. Used to be called nine angry white Protestant men. You ever heard that expression? Nine Protestant men, white men. There hasn't been a Protestant on the court in years, decades. Now you got eight, eight, seven Catholics and two Jews. You want to know what happened to America? All three appointees that Trump put in there turned on them. You read about Rome in 1 Timothy 4, didn't you? Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Crazy days we're in tonight, neighbor. Truth is falling in the streets and equity cannot enter. I think I mentioned the, the other day, didn't I? Lady Justice threw her blindfold over in the ground and Lady, Lady Liberty picked it up and used it as a face mask now. We're in trouble on paper. We're right by that wall over there. All you got to do is one thing. I told you last night. All you do is hold fast. That's what you have right here. That's why that hymn, Hold the Fort, is so good. Jeff Faggard, preacher, got us a whole bunch of preachers. I don't know if you were with us on the trip in Astabula, Ohio, where, where, where uh, P.P. Bliss, the guy that wrote that song, Hold the Fort, he, was, he died in a train crash on a, on, a, on a bridge coming back from Christmas. The whole train crashed down a, a trussel, you know, collapsed. His wife was thrown out of the train car. He was thrown out. She stuck. He crawled back in to be with her. Buried in a mass grave. All 40, 50 preachers got around that grave. And we all sang, hold the fort together. What, an, uh, what a day that was. I'll never forget it. Okay, neighbor. Bottom line is here. Bottom line is here. You see, you, you, need, some more, you need some more proof that the Jew is messed up. I don't know. Anybody ever heard of communism? 
How many ever heard of communism? <laughs> I'm just playing with you. You know that. Where'd it come from? I don't know. Probably a Jew named Karl Marx. Any of you ladies remember that uh, expression? Uh, the, the little girl with the curl. You old timers remember that? When she was good, she was what? Very, very good. But when she was bad, you're not, you're not that old, Joy. What are you talking you know, that girl knows everything. She knows things that haven't happened yet. She does. You know what Jack Patterson would say about them strong-willed gals, about little girls? When they grow up, she won't ask for a kiss. She'll take one. Amen. Hey, she, I've been picking her brain. She knows a lot of stuff, neighbor. When, hey, she's horrid. That's how that Jew is. He can be good or bad. Hey, we had an American Revolution, right? You know how we got, you know how we won the war? A Jewish banker named Haim Salman financed the entire war over $600,000 in 18th century money. There's this picture right there. Anybody ever heard of the Statue of Liberty? Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. The person who wrote those words, there she is. Emma, uh, Emma Lazarus, Jewish gal, died of cancer in her 30s. Here's a picture of myself and Sam Cohen in his backyard in Brentwood, California. He lived three houses down from the O.J. Simpson mansion. I told you last night how he invented that bomb to minimize suffering. These Jews have done a lot of good through the years, many of them. Hey, how about this one? Here's a, here's a vaccine I wouldn't mind taking, the polio vaccine from Jonas Salk, Jewish physician. Anybody ever heard, hear the song, God Bless America? You know where it came from? Irving Berlin. Same man who wrote White Christmas. I mean, they're not all bad. But when they're bad, they're beyond horrid. They're just equipped. They were supposed to be running the world back in the first century when the Messiah should have been accepted. And they, they, and, 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 and they rejected him. And now that Jew got put on hold for 2,000 years. And he's wired to rule. He's supposed to be running the world. That's what they're going to be doing when the Lord comes back. Now they're just spinning their wheels like... The Roadrunner, what do you mean they're bad? Oh, I don't know. Take a guess why no, we don't know what bathrooms to use anymore. Did you know that? We don't know what bathrooms to use. How come? A Jewish character named Sigmund Freud, you ever heard of him? And uh, David Berkowitz sitting out here in prison for 360 years, the son of Sam. He told me the two things that got him hooked on Satanism was watching uh, Rosemary's Baby in the movie theater over and over and over when he's 12, 14 years old. He said the other thing was reading the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey, the Jewish founder of the First Church of Satan in San Francisco. There's a picture of him with his horns and devil's horns sticking out of his head. Good Jewish boy. You, you guys, are you New York people, you know about the five organized crime families all through Manhattan's high heyday and mafia time. Did you know Murder Incorporated was, all, was about 85% Jews? They couldn't become soldiers in the mob, so they, and the Italians couldn't, couldn't kill as good as the Jews could. So they absolutely contracted all uh, three, 4,000 murders by a bunch of Jewish killers. You know who their top killer was? Here he is right here, Samuel Red Levine. <laughs> he was an observant hitman. He refused to kill on the Sabbath. True story, I got a footnote on it. How could you make up stuff like this? Here's a couple of good Sunday school workers, Jerry Springer and Howard Stern. What do you think about that? Here's a photograph of, I don't know, 25,000 Jewish sodomites marching in Jerusalem. Gay pride. 
Everybody in this town knows who this filthy animal is here with the, with the tongue hanging out of, his, out of his mouth with all the makeup caked on his face. Gene Simmons, founder of KISS, Kids in Satan Service. He's born in Haifa, Israel. Here, here's, your, here's the pervert that got Trump elected. Anybody remember Anthony Weiner? Amen. His wife was Hillary's top aide. And two days before the election, they reopened the case. You all remember that? I know our brains are pretty foggy by now. That's the pervert. He, and he was in jail for I don't know how long. They finally let him out. Here's the top Jewish comedian in America, woman, Sarah Silverman. Get on the Internet and see if you don't see her sitting on a stool with a microphone and a water bottle, packed out room of people doing her comedy monologue. And here it is. I hope the Jews did kill Jesus Christ. If they didn't, I'd effing do it again myself in a second. Go watch her say it on a camera. You can't make this stuff up. That's just a smattering. Just a smattering. So here's the deal. Those Jews are messed up. But God is not done with those Jews. See, this crowd over here knows all the bad negative stuff about the Jews, and God's done. We're the crowd over here that loves the Jews, but we can't hardly handle any of this reality because we just can't, we can't figure it out. We love them so much. They need you to love them enough to pray them into, into a better situation. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. That man invented the neutron bomb. Seven years he called my home. Once a week. Once a week average for seven years. I told you I couldn't even get the stupid cheese box thing open there with the cellophane the other day in my room. What's he calling me for seven years for? Because God connected us. I witnessed to him all the time. Jews need to hear the gospel. Now, here's the deal. God said he was going to save those Jews one day. They're on hold right now, temporarily, not permanent. Now, here's the issue. The whole sermon is built around this idea. You think God's going to keep that promise? I think so. Turn, I got two verses in the message for tonight. Turn over to uh, first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look down here around uh, maybe verse 12, talking about the millennium. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, meaning in this church age, we shall also what? Reign with him, right? But if we deny him, he also will deny us. That doesn't mean deny us a place in heaven. He'll deny us a significant role in the millennium. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, right? Here's the key, ready? All that to one, just for one phrase, he cannot what? Deny cannot deny himself. He said he's going to save those Jews. Is that what you just read the verses in Romans 11 a minute ago? Yes. So I think he's going to keep his promise. Anybody remember that old that old uh, bumper sticker back in the 70s? God said it. I believe it, and that settles it. You all remember that? Hey, then it had another version come out not long after that. Same three expressions, but the middle one had a big X through it. God said it, that settles it. Who gives a flip whether we believe it or not? He don't give a flip. He cannot deny himself. And that includes the Jews' attitude toward him. The bottom line is, it's, not, it's almost like Jewish Calvinism, preacher. It's funny. He's going to save their hides 
whether or not they believe in them or want anything to do with them. Which brings us to another naive side of the good guys, us. You know how naive we are? Because we, we want to think good things about the Jews. You're thinking of David and Solomon. You're not thinking of Ginsburg. ACLU would shut this church down in a New York minute. That fast. If it wasn't for the Bill of Rights that our Baptist ancestors got it. We talked about it last night. The idea is, I'm up here, I, I'm in so many churches now, and I, it seems like every time I want to tell you something, the devil says, you told him that yesterday, and I wasn't even here yesterday. I got so many different sermons growing around in my head from being in so many places, it's crazy. Um, what the average Baptist doesn't know because he's naive is how bad the Jew is, right? Well, let's talk about atheists for a minute. Do you realize that 80% of the Jews that are breathing air tonight, I don't care if they're in a Borscht Belt out here in New York State, or they're in Jerusalem, or they're on Mars, I don't care where they are. 80% of them are what, the, what you could call, if you want to be nice, you don't want to be ugly, you'd call them secular Jews. That's just a nice way of saying they're atheists. You all remember Golda Meir? She's the only female prime minister Israel ever had. You know, she graduated from high school in your neighborhood, Pastor, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Go down to the big public high school downtown Milwaukee. We got a big old plaque with her picture on it. You know what her fame, she was funny with, she put you down in the New York Minute herself. You know, she used to say, uh, don't act so humble, you're not that important. You know how Jews can put you on there. But you know what her famous quote was about religion? Ready? I am a socialist, and therefore I cannot believe in God. It's like good old Bernie Sanders, Jewish socialist. I'm telling you, neighbor, 80% of them are atheists. You say, I, I didn't, look, I didn't say they don't believe in Jesus. Who can figure that out? They don't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was in Israel five years ago doing research for that book, I guess, and I have a, a Jewish secular lady, I mean, uh, dressed up nice, giving me a tour of David's tower in the old city of Jerusalem, and I asked her a question about Ezekiel 38. I don't even remember what I asked her, something about it. And you know what she said to me, just like that? She said, oh, I think he was on drugs when he wrote all that stuff. Mr. Grady, did you see this picture over here? Blah, 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 blah. I thought he was on drugs. I didn't even blink. Would you like to know what their excuse is when you pin a Jew down? How come you don't believe in the God of Moses? Or what's the, what gives? I'll tell you exactly what their number one expression is. They use it all the time. Ready? Our God, our God died in the Holocaust. If he ever really did exist, he died after the Holocaust. Get the Pharisee stuff? How could a real God let that happen? That's, we, th we might have believed in him, but we don't believe in that anymore. He couldn't have been around to let that happen. Hey, they were out of fellowship with him ever since they got thrown out of Jerusalem mm -hmm. in 70 AD. Yes, Just watch Fiddler on the Roof one time. Hey, amen, Brother Grady. Okay, now watch this. So here's how naive we keep getting. Watch. Well, if only 20% of the Jews believe in the God of A Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Well, praise the Lord, then at least 20% of them read the Old Testament. I know they won't read the New Testament, but half a Bible is better than none, right, Brother Grady? Wrong again, neighbor. 
If they're not saved, why would they be reading convicting scriptures for? They don't read the Old Testament. They read some goofy set of commentaries called the Talmud. You hear about it once in a while, the Talmud. 20 some odd different books starting back at the Babylonian captivity. Rabbis writing about all kinds of weird subjects. The Catholic Church, they don't believe the Bible. It's tradition, church tradition. All the writings of the Thomas Aquinas and the popes, you know, you know how, that, how that works. So they are, they are really messed up. Now, watch this. Let me show you how messed up they are. Let me show you how this land got here. Let me show you how this land got here. How did Israel get here? Most Christians are familiar, most Christians are familiar with the date, May 14th, 1948. We all know that. That's the date they proclaimed their independence, and it didn't go into existence until midnight. At midnight, boom, their state was born, okay? And then they got invaded by five nations, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt coming up the south. Five nations pounced on them, and all their dancing in the streets stopped about 12.30 in the morning when the first Egyptian bombers started dropping bombs on Haifa, Tel Aviv. Now, what most Christians don't know is, is an equally significant date. Matter of fact, without this date, May 14, 1948, would never have happened. It was just six months earlier. And it's, it's something you ought to know. And I'm just trying to get you more interested maybe in a subject you might not have thought about much because you want God on your side. Hello, uh, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. You all know what their last enemy is? Paul said it's death. You might live longer. Why wilt thou die before thy time? Let God know you're on his side. You know, you know what's going on. And so uh, November the 29th, 1947, got that? About six months before the independence date. They had a big, vo they had a big vote in uh, the United Nations about whether or not they were going to cut little Palestine in half. Give half to the Arabs and give half to the Jews. The original cowboys and Indians that were all fighting it out. Now, where did, and, and, and the, and the, and the uh, resolution passed 33 to 13 because of Harry Truman. He put the heat on everybody. He loved the Jews, and he was the number one friend they had in the White House. Good old Baptist guy. Now, what you've got to know beyond that, if you really want to have a handle on things, is this. Just go back to 1917. How many, of you, how many of you are spiritual enough? You know turkey, turkey subs are good to eat, eh, man? How many of you like turkey subs? All right. How many like cheesesteaks? How many like grits? <laughs> Two hands, three hands. I've been down there forever. I can't stand grits, eh, man? <laughs> My cousin Vinny, what's a grit? <laughs> okay, here you go. You watching here, neighbor? See that word turkey up there? Before World War I started, the Ottoman Empire was the Turkish Empire that stretched from North Africa over here, Western Africa, all the way across Africa, all the way over to Iraq and Persia. This entire thing was one empire. Little Palestine, this is a blown up map of Israel, but you know how dinky little Israel looks on that massive stretch. I got a map in the, in the Israel book in the front page. And all of that was, was the Turkish Empire. And guess what? Turk, and right in the middle of it was Israel. 
part of the Ottoman Empire. And Israel and, and the Turkish Empire was always partial to England and France, you know, the Western European Federation. And they, they constantly got money thrown to them to keep them floating. They called Turkey, the, the Ottoman Empire, the sick man of Europe, you know, because they, they're always having to be propped up. But they were always willing to support the West. At the very last minute, they switched sides when World War I was getting ready to start, and they joined the bad guys, the Germans and the Austrians and the Hungarians. Bad move. So guess what happened? The bad guys got beat. And to the victor, go the spoils. All you've got to remember, if you want to know where the whole modern Middle East came from, right? You just got to remember one thing, a turkey. I was born on Thanksgiving, amen? And my father said I wrecked his, uh, you know, his Thanksgiving supper. I had to take my mother to Lenox Hill Hospital so I could be born on Thanksgiving. And he was extra mad because that was his birthday. He said, we're born on the same day. I wrecked his birthday party. He said, had turkey dinner, amen? <laughs> but I like turkey. Glory to God and the Lamb. Number four, turkey Tom sandwich at Jimmy John's. Amen. And if I can't get the Jimmy John's, Jersey Mike's. Forget Subway there. They, they can't touch Jimmy John's or Jersey Mike's. But what, what do you mean? Car Not only turkey, if you can remember that, can you remember carving a turkey? You understand? I like to teach everyday normal human, church, human being church people. Help them learn some things that make it easy to learn, right? Turkey, got the Turkish Empire got carved up after the war. They, they lost. And what happened? The United Nations of that day, called the League of Nations, it would become the United Nations in 1945 when America was willing to join it. America had enough sense to stay out of it when it was first formed in, in about 1921. And the League of Nations took responsibility to chop up that big Turkish empire. And they just made little new, like cookie cutter countries. Look, they just put in artificial boundaries. All those Middle Eastern boundaries, they didn't exist like that before. Not only did they carve up the empire, don't forget now, I'm telling you exactly how all this came about. Then, look, they divvied out those new countries. Like, <laughs> look, they gave them to the Allies, to France, to Britain, to Russia, offered some to America even. What do you mean, to give them away? To put, the, to put them under the authority of these allied countries until such time as those, na those brand new nations could run on their own, like training wheels on a bike. They called them mandates. Temporary authority over these new countries. Well, guess who got Palestine? Great Britain got it because of the Suez Canal. That was the main thing they wanted to keep their eye on was the canal. So they got control of Israel. That was their lifeline, that canal. So that's how Israel, I mean, England, got in control of Palestine. About 1921, that begins. It's called the British Mandate. Now, things that most Christians just never hear. I hate to put it this way until I come through the church and lay all this stuff out because it's stuff you don't even hear on the History Channel. And it's basic. The British hated the Jews. And they loved the Arabs. Hey, anybody ever hear of a Lawrence of Arabia movie? It won seven Academy Awards. You'll see how those British people felt about the Arabs. They hated the Jews. And they always leaned on them negatively, okay? So, 
after, after from 1921 to 48, almost 30 years of the Jews fighting with the Arabs and the Jews fighting with the British, look, the, the, the British official says, we can't control this crazy mess anymore. It's time we got out of here. And that's what they did. They threw the whole thing onto the United Nations of that day that was just forming. And they said, you figure it out. We're done. And so that's why the United Nations that was formed in 1945 in San Francisco, by 1947, that November date, the UN takes on the big, what they called, partition boat. And it passes where they're going to cut it in half. The Jews are going to get one half. They got the crummy end. All the sand dunes in the beach along the ocean, the shoreline. And they got the crummy uh, uh, Negev down here, the, the desert. And uh, the Arabs got all the high ground, the central spine, Judea and Samaria, as you know it, right along the Jordan River, high ground, guns on the, on the Jewish half, right? But here's the crazy part. You know what the Arabs said? We don't want our half. If those Jews, if there's one Jew that's going to be living in this country, we won't touch anything. We don't want anything. We'll just wait till our cousins come in at midnight those five Arab nations, and they'll wipe them Jews out and throw them right into the sea. And the crazy Muslim, uh, Arab countries, the, the Palestinians within the country of Palestine, it's a fake name, that's another story in itself, but you understand what I'm saying. They didn't accept their half. The Jews said half a bagel is better than none. We'll take our half. And, the, and, the, and that's how things are going to start in 1948, and in May 14th, it's all going to hit the fan at midnight, okay? Now, I told you how bad the Jews were, right? How atheistic they were. Let me show you a very famous photo photograph. I've got 200 pictures in this book. So you can learn some things. Hey, Rodney Dangerfield, the Jewish comedian, right? Here's his tombstone in Los Angeles. There goes the neighborhood, it says. Amen. There's, there's, a, <laughs> there's crazy Tiny Tim marrying Miss Vicky. Remember that crazy wedding? Highest rated Johnny Carson episode in the history of the program. Here's the largest statue of Elvis Presley in the world. I think I showed you that the other day. 16 feet high, right there. It's one mile outside of Jerusalem in a little Arab village. Here's four Israeli Elvis impersonators with their jumpsuits on, posing in front of the crazy statue. Third one in is a woman. Can't make this stuff up. Here's a McDonald's on the Sea of Galilee. You can't make this stuff up. I think he's coming. Don't you think he's coming? But long story short, Here's a very famous photograph. It's a picture of that May the 14th, 1948 moment when Israel proclaims its independence that's going to go into effect. What time? Midnight. Here's the picture. It's a, it's in, it was taken at 4 o'clock in the afternoon in a museum in Tel Aviv. It's a, it's a major museum tonight because of this. It was just a normal museum when they met. And here's a table here. You can't all see it. Here's a table. And here's all these leaders of Israel seated behind the table. Rooms packed out. <clears throat> and here is uh, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister. At midnight, he'll become the prime minister. He's standing there, four foot 11 inches tall, white hair shooting out of his head like Albert Einstein. And he's got a microphone in front of his face. And I've been in his home. His home is like a museum in Tel Aviv. Preacher, it's just room after room after room of bookcases. Every once in a while you find some furniture. Oh, look, here's a chair over here. Hey, look, a little cot. 
He spoke about ten languages. No time for God. Full-blown atheist. And there he is. Now, listen. They, they read that. In, they read, here's, the, here's the Declaration of Independence right there. That they read. It took about 12 minutes to read it. And then everybody scattered. Now watch this. You know what those same leaders were doing that morning? According to several Israeli historians that I have quoted in the book. I don't go with doofy stories I hear on the internet. You know what they were doing in the smoke-filled smoke room? You know, the politicians in the back room? Mayor Daly, Chicago. You know what they were doing? They were arguing about one last decision that had to be made. You all know what it means to kick a can down the road? Procrastinating? This is one issue, Pastor Dunbar, that they hadn't settled yet. And what was it? Whether or not they're going to put the name of Jehovah God in the Jews' founding document of their new country. What did I tell you the numbers were before? About 80-20, didn't I? 80% atheists, 20% religious nuts. That's about how it broke down. And they're arguing all morning. Finally, David Ben-Gurion, you know, he looks at his watch and says, hey, it's showtime going to be coming up in a few hours, 4, four o'clock. We've got to settle this. And so Bob Jones Sr. used to say compromise. The genius of politics, but the curse of Christianity. Down your end, the world of Bob Jones. Man that led me to the Lord who graduated from Bob Jones. And so they came up with a compromise that the secular Jews thought was funny. It was kind of their idea. Well, we'll let you call Jehovah, ah, the rock of Israel. We're evolutionists. We're tree huggers. We, we worship the earth. Rock, pfft, don't mean anything to us. And the religious Jews thought that was blasphemy. But again, they had, they had no other choice. So they shook hands on it. And they put it in their founding document, the Rock of Israel. I got all the whole chapter, everything I'm taught, 900 pages. It's all in here. Just giving you the highlights. Do you understand what I just told you? They're, they're about uh, 14 hours away from getting run into the sea by five Arab armies. And they're spending the last energy fighting about keeping God's name out of their founding document. Would you call that stiff neck? That's a pretty good illustration to me. That's what God called him 24-7. Okay, now, Ben-Gurion was an atheist. But he wasn't stupid. He knew they were going to be in trouble at midnight. If it was five armies to one army, it would have been tough. But it was five armies to zero. They had no standing army within that border with Britain breathing down their neck. The British are there everywhere. The Jews were hung I've been to the platform. I got a picture of the scaffold in the book where they hung them like crazy. They caught them with a gun on them to protect themselves. Forget an army. They had underground, illegal militias. They kept their weapons hidden. And they, they, those militias were there to protect the, 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 the kibbutzes, you know, the little communes on the frontier. And watch it. Those groups, you've heard of the Haganah, you, most of you, the Aragon, the Stern Gang, you've heard of these groups. Here's the crazy part. They fought each other like crazy. What do you mean fought each other? I don't mean like this. I mean bang, bang, killing each other to get weapons from each other. What do you think Ben-Gurion's hair is sticking out for? He's trying to hold this crazy thing together. Hey, here's an old story. I mean, here's an old quote. If you have two Jews, Paul said, they're contrary to all men in Thessalonians. You ever read the verse? The old quotation says, if you have two Jews 
You have three views. Amen, Brother Grady. They argue about anything. After all this is over, in a few, you know, next year, when the Jews prevail, uh, Ben-Gurion comes to the White House to visit President Truman. Truman's trying to make small talk with him, you know, in a nice way. He said, Mr. Ben-Gurion, I mean, Prime, Mr. Prime Minister, he said, it must be a blessing and an honor being the first Prime Minister of the new state of Israel. Ben-Gurion looked at him and said, Mr. President, I am Prime Minister of 500,000 Prime Ministers. They fight like dog, cats and dogs. So Ben-Gurion knows he's in trouble. He don't even have one army against five. He has nothing. Now here's the most important part of the message. <clears throat> I'm already at just about at third base now. Home plates, I'm out of here. Ready? Here's where it gets wild. You know what he does? He's desperate, preacher. So in, in, in January of 1948, Right? November, they just had to vote. Here it is in January now. They've got February, March, April. They've got four months to go, right? Ben-Gurion sends a, a, a secret, private delegation to the Pentagon in Washington for one reason. To beg for some military advisor that knows what he's doing to come over there and tell them what to do so they don't get wiped out and thrown into that ocean. One American colonel agrees to help them. His name is Colonel David, nicknamed Mickey, David Mickey Marcus, a Romanian Jew. His parents were immigrants. He's born in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, born on George Washington's birthday. Amen. Loved America. How sharp a guy is this? Oh, nothing, nothing to get excited about. He just graduated from West Point with high honors under Douglas MacArthur as commandant. You men, he was a real man's man. He was light heavyweight boxing champion at West Point. When he got out of West Point, he went, into, he went to Brooklyn Law College, got a law degree, became the youngest judge in the history of New York City. When World War II opened up with America, with Pearl Harbor, they reactivated his commission, military commission, and they sent him to Hawaii. We were talking about this, Joy, the other day. Sent him to Hawaii to train the 101st Airborne Division for the D-Day landing. Three years later, when we jumped out of the planes, he snuck away from his desk job. He was chained to the desk. There's no way they were going to let him loose. He was their golden egg-laying goose. He was the most brilliant man at the Pentagon. You know how smart that guy, this Jew, was? You want to hear something that will blow everybody's mind? Can't make this stuff up. My middle name is Footnote. I got so many footnotes in that book. I do. I told you, Peter Jennings said, if you hear rumor your mother loves you, check it out. I, I, I have footnotes. How, how sharp was this Jew? Oh, I don't know. How about, he, how about he authored the surrender papers for the German army at the end of the war to sign? Do you know a Jew did that? Hitler couldn't do it. He's gone. Matter of fact, I have a picture in that book. I got a picture of a Jewish... Uh, real estate salesman in Nashville, Tennessee. Name is Zeon. He's the top sniper in the Israeli army when he was in service. And he and I are friends. I'm like a father figure to him. I'm all the time witnessing to him. There's a picture of him leading a special op missionary in the Gaza Strip. He's something else. Hey, we're like father and son. I thought we've been to Israel together. But boy, he's a typical Jew, like I'm telling you. Rough. Can I, tell you, can I tell you one of his jokes? It's about the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. It's from a Jew. 
Remember Joan Rivers? She had all these Holocaust jokes she'd tell. That's how Jews are. The blacks always using the N-word, getting away with it. Jews always telling Holocaust jokes. You know what he said? We were in a restaurant somewhere. He said, he said and he loves me to death. He said, Bill, you know why Hitler shot himself? I said, why? He said he saw the gas bill. That's a Jew, bro. So Hitler couldn't, uh, Hitler was out to lunch. He didn't surrender anything. He was gone. But all the general, uh, Jew, uh, German generals signed the surrender documents this Jew put together. How wild was he? He jumped out of the airplane with his, with his men on, on, on D-Day. He snuck away from his desk job to do that. By the way, he, uh, he was at Yalta Conference, all those wartime conferences you see, Stalin sitting there with Churchill and Roosevelt. He's the top JAG representative telling, Stalin, uh, telling uh, Roosevelt what to do in all of those meetings. Remember the Nuremberg trials? He, he interviewed and got all the judges together and the lawyers. He ran everything. Top guy. They wouldn't let him loose for anything. He snuck away and jumped with the 101st Airport. And you want to hear something crazy? They, they sent, a, they sent a, a one-star general after him to find him. And when the general finally found him, they gave him a good cussing out. He said, what the blankety-blank are you doing here, Marcus? And he said something to the effect, I'm sorry, sir, I got lost, you know. And they kicked him back to the Pentagon. This is a true... Hey, it's a true story enough to have a book written about it called Cast a Giant Shadow. And how about this one? How about a major Hollywood film? And we don't worship films here. I know better than that. But hello, neighbor. If you don't think John Wayne is a good guy, you're probably a communist. Wouldn't trust you as far as I could throw Dan. If you didn't like John Wayne. Hey, say amen right there, you bunch of communists. John Wayne's in the movie. Uh, Frank Sinatra's in the movie. Joel Brenner's in the movie. The guy that plays General, uh, uh, the, uh, David, General uh, Colonel Marcus, the main character, Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas was a Jew in real life. His Hebrew name is as long as that, 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 that thing here. Couldn't pronounce it if you had to. John Wayne portrays Colonel Marcus's superior officer at the Pentagon. So here comes this delegation begging help, and Marcus says, I'll go. John Wayne's trying to talk him out of it. Why do you want to go over there, Mickey, wreck your career, get over there in that dust bowl in a political crisis halfway around the world? What's, you got better things to do than that, don't you? And basically he says, you don't understand, you're not a Jew, your family wasn't in the Holocaust. You can understand where it's going. So in the bottom line, they made a deal, and they let Marcus go. But who's in charge of Palestine? The British. It's going to be a political fiasco if anything find, anybody finds out he's over there. So there's two agreements they have to agree to. One, he goes over with a fake passport, fake name, number one. Number two, if they catch him over there, the British, we never heard of you. <laughs> you understand? They shake. The next month, February, Colonel David Marcus arrives in Palestine as a construction worker with a fake passport, fake name. He's immediately granted Brigadier General status by the Hebrews. Aloof was the title. They hadn't had one in 2,000 years. And the whole country's looking at him like he's the Messiah himself. He's going to tell them what to do. The Pentagon wouldn't let him bring one military manual with him. Nothing. 
He recreates five military tactical manuals from his own photographic memory. He's got three months to build an army with a bunch of crazy people fighting themselves 24 hours a day to stave off five foreign armies coming in at midnight. How'd you like to have a job like that? Long story short, shooting ahead, midnight comes, boom, everybody's celebrating. I told you the bombs start dropping about 12.30. Bottom line, everything that Mickey Marcus taught those men to do, they did. It was always all this rat patrol, hit and run kind of stuff, swamp, uh, swamp fox, uh, guerrilla warfare, you understand? That's all they could do. Recoilless rifles up in the back of Jeeps. Long story short, though, within two or three weeks of the, of the five armies invading, those five armies were running in five different directions. You know, God's faithful, amen. You see, here's the thing. All these scumbuckets over here are talking about replacement theology. God knowing the Jews. No, you know what the real answer is? The answer is not replacement theology. The doctrinal position, asked the preacher, is restoration theology. That Jew is going to get restored twofold, one to his land. That's happening right in this war I'm telling you about in 48. And then they're going to be restored to their Lord at the end of the tribulation period when we come riding down in our wedding dresses probably, amen, and rescue them at the end, right? That's how it's going. It's restoration theology, not replacement theology. So when, they're, when them nasty Arabs are running for their lives, what do you think the UN does? Oh, when the bad guys are getting whooped up on, hold it, we've got to have a ceasefire. They stop everything. And they set a ceasefire date. But right before the ceasefire date's going to go into effect and the war will be stopped and the Jews will have won the war, they'll have a few more cleanup operations, but for the most part, it, they won. The other big thing that the movie points out is that Jerusalem's in trouble. It's surrounded by the Arabs. They're, they got it under a siege and they're starving them to death. If you've been to Israel, there's only one road into Israel. I mean, to Jerusalem, Highway 1. Comes right on up. And, to the, and back then, all the high ground that parallels that one highway up here, they got all these gun emplacements all over the place. That's where the British kept their you know, units up there. When the British left that day, they left the same day it, everything kicked in. They walked out on May 14th. What do you think they did with those gun emplacements? No tag team wrestling? They tag teamed off and gave all those gun emplacements to the Arabs. Now the Jews are in Jerusalem starving because they can't get any supplies in to save them. So Mickey Marcus, our hero, not only saved the day by winning the war, he's going to save all those starving people. You know what he does? He's so sharp, he builds a road back here, preacher, with bulldozers and uh, started with a little goat path. I don't know what a goat path is. I grew up in Manhattan. We'd see a blade of grass on the crack of the sidewalk. I still remember my friends saying, hey, look, Bill, we're out in the country today. <laughs> you know, I don't know what a goat path is. I guess it's a path goats walk on. What, I don't even know what a grid is. He found a goat path. I just put it in the book. I'm assuming it's a path goats walk on. I don't know. And, and they, they, they bull, opened it up with bulldozers and engineers, and they built a suicide road back into to Jerusalem through the back door. And it's such a scary uh, uh, precipice that Marcus had to get into the first truck to show it could be done. Movie makes a big deal out of that. And long story short, two days before that siege would have blocked everybody, you know, wherever they were when the clock ran out, and those Jews would be doomed. 40, 50 trucks of supplies come rolling in. 
and they saved the day. Okay, now I'm about uh, three feet from home plate. That's where the sermon ends, so you know. So let's go from two, from, from, uh, from uh, uh, two days in front of the ceasefire when the trucks got there, right? Let's go about seven hours before it kicks in. Two o'clock in the morning. Truce goes into effect seven o'clock in the morning. You'll never believe where Mickey Marcus is. He's in a Catholic church with his officers. Bivouac, you know? You know where they are? They're in that same crazy Arab village where that Elvis Presley statue is now. 16-foot bronze statue. Same town. Abba Gush. One mile outside of Jerusalem. They're in there. Waiting for the, next, for the morning to come, for the war to be stopped. Mickey, everybody's nervous. Marcus is the top, top uh, military advisor. All the pressure's on him. Look, he gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's got to use a latrine out there. And it's a cool night, so he puts on a, a sheet over his head. And he comes out of his quarters and he gets to where the sentry is and exchanges a few words with him, friendly words. And then he disappears over a stone wall out here. And he's gone, they said, for about 40 minutes, maybe smoking a cigarette, whatever he's doing. When he comes back into his camp, there's a different guard on duty who showed up early, 10, 12 minutes earlier than he should have been there. And he has no clue who this person is coming with a sheet on his head. On top of that, it's a Russian Jew, 19 years old, who doesn't speak any English like the other guard did. And so he sees this figure coming and he yells in Hebrew to halt. Now what's the password? As brilliant as Mickey Marcus is, he, he doesn't speak Hebrew. He speaks Yiddish, like a broken Hebrew. And he yells out, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, the general, I'm Marcus, startled. That 19-year-old Russian Jew gets shook up and fires a shot up in the air. He had no idea what he's saying. That's the guy that had jumped on all the, the sentries the night before. Keep your eyes open. The Arabs might try something in the last minute. Well, that spooks Marcus when he shoots up in the air. He tries to co get cover behind a tree, and the kid takes a second shot and puts a round right through his heart and kills him on the spot. Now that crazy replacement theology group in Arizona, ding dong, the witch is dead, they like that. All of you felt sad for just a moment there. That's the right way to feel. That's how the Confederacy felt. When Stonewall Jackson was killed by one of his sentries, they went into shock. David Ben-Gurion said he was the greatest man we had. And they classified him the last casualty of Israel's War of Independence. I have a sad picture in the book of them carrying his casket out of the morgue. They put him on an airplane, the casket, with an Israeli flag over the casket, and everybody and their grandmother stuffed themselves into that plane. It's being flown to New York for a state funeral. I mean, remember Moshe Diane? He was on the plane. Ben Gurion's on the plane. Anybody that was anybody tried to get on that plane. They were shook up. Plane landed in New York. They gave him a state funeral, city hall, and a Jewish synagogue, a double service. And then the key to the thing is, they put, and by the way, in a stupid movie, they have Kirk Douglas cheating on his wife over there, the guy playing Marcus. That's his Hollywood Jews making a buck. 
He was very loyal to his wife. That's a total lie, that part of the movie. You see pictures of his sad wife getting his Mickey's medals from Ben-Gurion. It's a very sad story. But the highlight of the whole story is the motorcade that took Marcus's body up to the point for burial. I've been at West Point twice. Have any of you ever been to West Point? It's in your state. Oh, my soul. Isn't that interesting? You know, I'm all over the country. Nobody's hardly ever been there. That's, that's, that's thrilling to see how many hands went up. Have any of you ever seen Marcus's grave there? You knew about it to see it? Raise your hand. Isn't that amazing how little we, see, we can know about things? I grew up in Manhattan. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty. Sometimes we're so close to the forest we can't see the trees, right? I have a photograph in my book of Marcus's headstone there in West Point. It says, David Mickey Marcus, a soldier for all humanity. You know what the, you know what the guard, you know what the, if you get a guide at West Point Cemetery, you know what he'll tell you? If you put Marcus's grave maybe in a corner of the auditorium where the walls meet, that far away, I'm telling you that for a reason now. He's back yonder there. You know what they'll tell you? They'll tell you that that's the most unique grave site in the whole cemetery for one reason. That's the only American soldier buried there who died fighting under a foreign flag. My father-in-law landed on Normandy Beach with an American flag he was under. He died under his Israeli flag. Oh, did I tell you what his name was on his face pa fake passport, by the way? Can't make this stuff up. You all remember the debate they had about putting Jehovah's name in the document? What'd they, what'd they say? Well, I'll let you put Rock of Israel in there. Ha ah. ha. Well, take a guess who the Rock of Israel used to save those stiff-necked Jews that didn't want anything even to do with God. Guess who God used? Guess what his fake name was? You couldn't make this up. Michael Stone. <laughs> the Lord used the stone <laughs> like it did with David. And Michael's the archangel that protects Israel. They, don't, they didn't know that. That was his fake name. Now, I'm done with this. Here's my last thing I'm going to tell you, closing illustration. When I went to Marcus's grave, that book was a six-year project, 18,000 hours, according to a time study. And I was about 90% done, and I did not have a, an idea how to close the book. Every sermon has a closing illustration, and so does a book. But when I went into that cemetery preacher and saw that man's grave, God gave me the closing illustration of the whole book, which is the closing illustration of this sermon tonight. After this, I'm done. There's another grave site the guide can take you to about right here, look. See the distance from the corner to here? You know what that guide will tell you? This is the second most unique grave site in West Point, which by the way, is 100 years older than Arlington. You all know that. You'll never believe in a million years who's buried here. And I'm done with this. Matter of fact, there's a whole book written about who's buried here. I bought the book at the West Point bookstore. And I reference it, of course, in the final chapter of my book. I'd recommend all of you get it, especially the ladies. And here it is. And this is my swan song, and I'm done. In the 1830s, there was a big Donald Trump figure like Trump, he, was a, he wasn't a Jew, he's a Gentile investor. Owned property everywhere. Owned a massive townhouse preacher in, right in Manhattan, you know. Filthy rich, right? 
owned property everywhere. He had two daughters, two teenage daughters. They're the key to the story. Susan and Anna. His name was my, uh, Henry Warner. Two girls. The mother had died. The girls had kind of shook up. And uh, they got a nanny or somebody kind of rearing them. Well, this guy, Henry Warner, you know what he does? He buys an island that's out in the Hudson River. Again, I'm up here with New York State people, so I feel so much better than I, I got to break this down to Georgia, you know, people, you know. <laughs> when we're on camera, I love Georgia. <laughs> Bless your heart. Amen, brother. Stone Mountain, rocks. Amen. I'm a Yankee by birth, but a rebel by choice. How are we doing? Everything all right now? I don't want to lose half of my meetings. Amen. We got more Baptists in Tennessee than there are people, amen. You don't come in very first position with me. I got to live down there. I come up here for fun. I got to be around my own crazy people I grew up with. Amen, Brother Grady. West Point, right off, the, right off the coast of West Point, there's an island called Constitution Island. You can hit it with a rock, maybe if you throw it hard enough. It's about a 200-acre island. He bought that island from the private owner who had it. He wants to put hotel on there like a Trump would have done. But before he can do that, there's a financial panic that hits and wipes his income out. Panic 1830, I don't know, there was all kind of panics before the big depression hit in, you know, 29. Anyway, he lost everything overnight, had to sell his townhouse. Only thing he was able to hold on to was that island by a fluke for some reason. Here's the teenage daughters, they lost their mom, they're all flipped out about that. Now they see his father go down a drain overnight. He gets so depressed, like uh, Scarlett O'Hara, remember? Her, her, her daddy in that movie, the Irish guy loses his mind. They never can, he never gets his mind back. You know what they did? Anybody remember Green Acres? They got a crummy little cottage. That, they had a little broken down farmhouse on that little island. He moves his two daughters and a nanny or some relative into that broken down cottage. That's going to be their new mansion. The girls are talking to themselves, mostly for having lost their mom. But this is like, knocks them out. So guess what they did? Same thing I did when my mother killed herself. I started looking for God. I didn't care anymore about the New York Yankees or the New York Mets. You know what these girls do? They start looking for God, Pastor. And guess what happens? Call upon me and I'll answer thee. They both get saved in a Presbyterian revival meeting in Manhattan. We're talking about the 1830s. Well, they got, they got so saved, like a black preacher would say, they got muchly saved. When they came back to Green Acres, amen, not only were they saved, but they had a gift from God to write poetry and, and sto short stories and hymns. And they began spreading their material, their genre, became the youth departments of all the New York churches and Jersey churches back in the 1830s and 40s. They actually had some of their material published where they eked out a little income because daddy's never going to come back again. And they're paying the bills, preacher. You, you, you young girls here, pay attention. I mean, God will do something wonderful in your life if you'll let him. Well, guess what happens? Daddy dies and those girls are kind of on their own. And through the years now, watch. They pass into their 20s. And then they pass into their 30s. And guess what, neighbor? No husbands come on the scene in the will of God. And, some, and all, the, all, the, all the snickering starts, you know. You know, the, the hoity-toity gals, Mrs. Mrs. Thurston Howard III, remember her? With the glasses on the stick, you know? And, and, and they start making fun of these girls who don't have any husbands. 
I remember Jack, Peter Ruckman said he ran into one of them kind of women. They tried to witness to it. And he could, I don't know if I told his joke again here yesterday because I'm in so many places. But he said that the woman was giving him a snooty hard time. He finally said, one more question before I leave, ma'am. Uh, are you ungodly? She said, I should hope not. And he said, well, that's too bad. The Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. See you later. <laughs> and he walked. Ruckman, you couldn't beat him, amen. Well, guess what, neighbor? Now we're moving into the 40, their 40s, another 10 years. Well, now those two women are passing through the childbearing age. That's getting ready to leave them behind. And the snickering goes on. Well, they just keep serving God and trusting God and leaving things in God's hand. And then they're in their 50s. And then they're in their 60s. And then the snickering really takes off. You know why? Because by this time, the economy is much stronger and they're getting all kind of invitations from realtors and investors that want to buy that island to do what their dad had wanted to do. But by this time, not only are they saved, but they love America. And they know that West Point wants that island. That's what, West, that's what Benedict Arnold betrayed. Most of you New York people probably know that. Go down to Newburgh, New York, where the big museum is. You can see the chain there, part of it that Washington stretched across the Hudson to West Point to block British ships because of Benedict Arnold's betrayal. They want to give it to West Point, but they can't because their daddy's estate still has a lot of debt. And it's like West Point can't afford to, free, to, get, to get the free gift because they'll get locked into the debt some way. So it's a stand, Mexican standoff. And the, the snickering picks up because if those girls would sell it to the investors, they'd become rich overnight. But they, you know what they're doing? They're trusting God. You ever get in a tight spot? God never fail anybody. Never. Let me tell you something, neighbor. I could cry right here. When you get older, like the pastor and I, you got nothing but memories. Let me tell you something. I wish I could be here a whole month preaching to you because I got so many sweet things that any preacher comes in. If I'm doing a good job, it's his, it's, it, he gets the credit. He's the one that picked out the, the speakers that come in here. But you're facing a storm. You got two things are going to happen. Either God will calm that storm before you get into it, or he'll calm you through it. That's guaranteed. That's the perk of being saved. Yep. And listen, neighbor, those girls hung on there. They needed a miracle. You might need to see the Lord walk out on the sea one night. That's a bigger miracle you're going to need. Well, guess when it happens? Go read your Bible. He comes out on the fourth watch. You have to row for three watches before you get to the fourth watch. Weeping endureth for the night, but joy comes in the morning. When those gals were way up in there in their 80s, you know what happened? Some Christian philanthropist, lady, heard about their crazy dilemma and dumped a bunch of money into the tank to get their daddy's estate up into the black. So them women, them old biddies, those unclaimed blessings could take that pen and sign over Constitution Island to West Point. And then they both die. The key girl of the two girls is the younger sister, Anna. I think she lived in 95. I, I can't remember everything, but it's in the book. Preacher, when they both died, take a wild guess where they got buried. Right I have a picture of the tombstone in the book. You know what the guy at West Point will tell you? That's the number one unique gravesite there. The only American officer who died under a foreign flag. 
Number two, second most unique gravesite right here, the only non-military related civilians buried in this hallowed military cemetery. That's how much they thought of those two sisters. Say, preacher, why'd you put that in the book? What's that got to do with anything? It's a cool story, but what's the connection? Yeah, you know what the rest of the story, Paul Harvey? Go talk to that guy at West Point. You know what he'll tell you? They may have been snickering going around by all the idiots that don't know any better. And by the way, if you're dealing with something that nobody but you and God knows, remember what Bob Jones said. Senior, you and God make a majority. Who gives two flips what anybody thinks? You ever, you ever see how nervous I look? See him up here like I say anything I think God tells me? I'm not nervous about anything. The fear of man brings a snare. God take care of you. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And those gals were tough. And they trusted God and God took care of them. You know what that guide will tell you? While some folks may have been laughing about their weird status, right? He said... Dozens and dozens and dozens and probably hundreds over the years of born-again West Point cadets going to school that were saved had a totally different opinion about those two girls. Matter of fact, they had a tradition at West Point. You know what they had a tradition of? On Sundays, those Christian cadets would get in little rowboats and they'd row out to Constitution Island. I think they called them little flotillas. What'd they go out there for? So they could have lunch with those two old biddies and tea, but always to have a Bible study with them. Why is that, preacher? This won't mean anything to about 80% of you, but when those guys, those future generals and colonels and majors and captains of our army, military in our best days, are under, right? Marcus is going to come out of there in a few years. Hey, you know what? The ones that were saved... They were, they were coming from all, they were there from all different parts of the country, weren't they? But when they got over to Constitution Island, they all had something in common with one another. You know why? Again, this won't mean anything to almost anybody in here. There was an archaic, archaic hymn that, she, that Anna wrote that those soldiers sang in their churches when they were little. You've never heard of the song. And they were so thrilled, they grew up with it. Back then, it was a popular song. And when they got to see Anna, she's the one that wrote it. And they just couldn't wait to see her. Go read the book. It'll blow your mind. I wouldn't end an 18,000-hour an 18, project on just, ugh. And guess what? You're not going to believe this. You got a pretty modern hymn book? The hymn is in your hymn book. So I'm done. All I want you to do is humor me. And we are so going home. Say amen right there. All, what are you so excited about? What's the matter with you people? I gave you the best I could give you for six nights. You ready, Nate? I, I could end it 20 minutes from now. All you got to do is act interested. How many are interested? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't break your arms. You're going crazy. Okay, all I want you to, can you humor me? I'm going to tell you what the hymn Number is, you go get your hymn book and look it up and tell me if you've ever heard it. The problem is the only folks that are going to recognize it are old people. And I hate to put old ladies on the spot. Amen. They're my best customers for books. Amen. All right, neighbor. Are you ready? I even asked the pastor if we could close the service by singing this hymn. And he said, yes, but I messed up, preacher, because probably nobody knows how to sing it. It's that archaic, okay? All right, neighbor, here we go. Ready? It's number 
It's number 190. They got the thing messed up. They got the lady's first name right, but they got the last name wrong. I don't know how this happened. Anna Russell. Number 190. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus. Okay? How many of you old-timers ever remembered hearing that song and you've sung it? One, two, what's the, what? What's the matter with you? That says, oh, that's copyright 1924. That's the other page. <laughs> Maybe this is not as old as I thought. But this is it. Good night. How many of you grew up with foreigners? Remember, what's the matter for you? <laughs> oh, listen. How many of you know you never trust anybody from New York City? Don't you New York State people know that? That's the devil down there. That's hell. It's a purgatory at least, right? Am I right? You don't trust people from New York. I messed up. I got the wrong number. Try number 187. It's to the left three pages. There's another Anna over there. Any, any old timers in here ever remember growing up singing this song? I can't hear you. You're all choking at the same time. You say, you fooled us. Well, so what? You already took the offering. What do I give a flip? <laughs> all right, ready? How many of you grew up singing that song? Raise your hand. Isn't that sweet, neighbor? You know, Anna Warner never had any children. She never had any physical children. But she sure had a lot of spiritual children. I bet your quarter, all you folks that just raised your hand, I bet your quarter you sang Jesus Loves Me before you ever sang Amazing Grace. You know, if God don't give you a husband, guess what, neighbor? He's got something more important for you to do. He that is, she that is married careth for her husband, how she may please her husband. But he, she that is unmarried careth for the things of the Lord, how she may please the Lord. God knows what he's doing in our lives. And I'll tell you this, and, and I'll be done. Then we can sing the song and go home. And we sang it yesterday. I almost flipped out. When you, you understand you sang Jesus Loves Me one or two, two nights ago, I think. You know, I'll, I'm going to tell you, the last thing I'm going to tell you is the last sentence. The last sentence in the book. Because this story is the last chapter of the book. You know what's the last thing I said? I said, if you have the book about Mickey Marcus, what's it called? Cast a Giant Shadow, remember? And the movie, anybody remember ever seeing that movie, Cast a Giant Shadow? All right, that, that book with the same title has one line on the cover to get you to buy the book. It said, you know, like a little come on. It said, this is the story about the man who died to save Jerusalem. Remember the trucks getting the food in? And then he shot and killed, right? The last thing I said in the book was, the man that's buried over there died to save Jerusalem. And the gal that's buried over here wrote about the one who died to save Mickey Marcus. And the whole world. Aren't you glad you're going where they are? And not where that poor patriot over there is who saved that nation so it could be here tonight when we come back to rescue it one day. Maybe your day wasn't as bad as you thought it was. At least you're going to the right place. And maybe, even though you're from crazy New York, Catholic country, you grew up singing, Jesus loves me. Excuse me for breathing. I grew up singing Ave Maria about the Virgin Mary. At 21 years old, I had them sing that at my wedding where the Catholic priest married me got, and my wife got drunk at our reception, started a conga line playing when the saints go marching in with, a, with an accordion. 
Maybe God's, I'm on his hips, my best man, Mike the Knife, needs you to go home with the Fu Manchu. He's on my hips and all my Catholic family's dancing all over the hub cocktail lunch. And my wife, Southern Baptist family from Maryland's going. <laughs> we had a while, you know how sick I am? I, I, I shouldn't keep going, but you'll like this. You know how sick I am? The first dance, Mr. and Mrs. Grady, we come out, right? My wife's got a wedding dress, her mother crocheted the whole thing. And the polka band over here I used to work for when I sold those cash registers to Stone Balloon Nightclub in Delaware. My, my boss over there, Ed Berry with the Polak polka band. And, and I, we come out on the dance floor and my wife picks, she picks uh, Laura's theme from Dr. Shivago. Very romantic song, you know? Somewhere, my love, na 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 And we're dancing on, everybody's watching, you know, clapping. And as soon as that song ended, I gave the guy the eye because he had my request. Nobody got on, nobody's on the dance floor yet. We're still out there. My wife's in the most romantic mood of her life. And the band starts the second song. If you told me this, I wouldn't believe it. Please release me, let me go. For I don't love you anymore. If, if I was a Catholic, I'd put my hand on the Bible. So, uh, you, you, you told me that I think you were nuts. It was a good song to dance to. That's all I remembered. I never thought about the words. You know, about 10 years ago, my married daughter said, Dad, you know, Mom told me the other day for her whole life, every time she thinks about that, she cries to this day. Husband saved, he's a preacher, she's still crying about that dance. Okay. Why don't we sing this song and go home? How good has God been to us? Amen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Let's, uh, let me have me a piano player or something. We've got somebody that can do that. Preacher's wife is so good. She's been so good to me all week. My soul. Number 187. Why don't we stand and give you a good seventh inning stretch?